0: We don't know how good we have it sometimes. We really don't. We don't know how good that we have it to have the freedom that we, you and I, have to be able to come to one place and to worship God. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to get right into it this morning. We're going to go right into part two of our sermon series that we're talking about, This Is Us. All right? If you missed it last week, I'll hit a couple spots in this In this uh, message that I'm giving this morning, that hopefully will catch you up. Um, But again, uh, you know, I believe what we're about to get into specifically talks to us as a church, specifically talks to you and I as the body of Christ and what we are to do in our life. In other words, to take on the spiritual uh, disciplines that God gives us. And to use them. And, and what, we're going to, what we got into last week, and I'm going to touch again, right in with it again this, um, this morning, is a spiritual discipline that we must allow to be a part of our lives. You know, one of the things that, that, that I find remarkable at times is that we will say that we want more of God. We want more of His Holy Spirit. But yet, we're not willing to take the steps necessary to fulfill the principles or even to attempt to go at fulfilling the principles that God has given us and he's given us explicit instructions on how to get closer to him through his word. I want to ask you this question as before we go any further this morning and this is this. How many of you love stuff? I'll be honest, right? How many you love stuff, right? You love things. I was thinking about this question and and one of the thoughts that came to my mind And this is bad for my wife and I because we're we're both, we'll check it every so often, Amazon, right? Do you have anybody that likes Amazon, Amazon Amazon.com, any Amazon lovers, right? If you do, then you like Amazon Prime, right? Amazon Prime is what? Man, you you get on there and you're getting free shipping and you're getting it like the next day, all right? Example, I think it was like a month or so ago, maybe two months ago, I had ordered something like in the mid-afternoon on a Saturday, And when I went to leave to come to church Sunday morning, guess what was on my doorstep? Praise God. That is awesome, is it not? Shame on them for working on Sunday. But that is awesome. You know, we love stuff. We like things, right? I mean, if I went to your house, there's some things that you would consider, you know, boat lovers. Who's got a boat? Loves your boat. All right. Yeah, there you go. It's a money pit. I've got one. All right, I know all about it, right? Some of you, you're, you're, in, you're into watches. Anybody like watches? Anybody into watches? All right, we got a guy. We got a couple guys. Another guy right here. You like watches. So if I go to your house, what are you going to have? You're probably going to have maybe a collection, or you're going to have several watches. You're going to have a couple that are, what, kind of near and dear to you, sentimental. Baseball cards, baseball memorabilia, right? You are the next in line to go to heaven. Okay, that is awesome, right? I'm a huge baseball fanatic, as everybody here knows. But anyway... In 66 books in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God specifically talks about possessions and or money over 2,000 times. Think about that. Let me, let me repeat that. In, in 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God talks about the topic of money or possessions over 2,000 times. Now, look, it's not wrong to have possessions. All right? It's not wrong to have money. Praise God, right? But it's what we do with these things, the obsession that we have over them that brings the wrong about it. So if God spoke or if God is speaking to us through his word over 2,000 separate times through scripture, would you not say that maybe God is also obsessed with this? Think about that. I'm not so sure that God is obsessed with The possessions or the money, but I believe that what God is obsessed with is you. God is obsessed with you. You are the first thing, and you are the only thing on his mind every single day. God has an obsession with you. You know, I sit there and I look at what are the things that that, that I have an obsession with. You know, I love my I'm obsessed with my family love my family, I'm obsessed with my church, I love my church, I'm obsessed with God, I love God, first and foremost. But as much emotion that I have that I pour out towards stuff, or towards things, or even towards God, God has an emotion that is even greater towards you, an obsession with you. That right there alone should speak volumes into your life this morning. Understanding that you are the first thing on his mind. You are the only thing on his mind. His day revolves around you. Everything that God has ever done is because of you. Anything that God has ever done is for you. Anything that God will ever do in the future, his mind will be upon you. You know, we have an obsession with things, we have an obsession with stuff. Think about this for a second. Um, those of you who have kids, all right? I always bring kids out, why? Because I have kids, I've got little kids and they're constantly on my mind, all right? But if you have kids and you know, a kid comes into the world, it is the most perfect thing that there could be, right? It is, it is the most perfect. Right here, this lovely couple has had, Was he, six months old, three months old? I'm sorry? Three months old. Isn't that fantastic? Right? This couple's about to have one in October 11th or something like that. Second. All right. I was off just a couple days. Right? Right? And, you know, I, I don't know if there's, if there's any of you else. Come see me. I'll congratulate you. All right? It's awesome. It's all I know right now. But anyway, so, you know, when a child comes into the world, it comes into the world, the most perfect thing in the world. And then 18 months later, you realize that they're a wretched sinner. Seriously, a wretched sinner. You've got like 15 more months to go in your perfection. Good luck. All right? Just think about this we're obsessed with stuff. We like things, we like money, we like possessions, we like boats, watches, baseball memorabilia, right? You like clothes, ladies, shoes. I don't know what your thing is. Uh, Guitars, you know. The latest in technology, we want stuff. Everybody's looking, but everybody needs to take out, you know, their cell phone and reverse the camera and look at themselves here. All right. But think about this for a second. We have such an obsession with stuff. But, you know, when a child, especially my boys, I don't know about yours. Yours are perfect. Mine aren't. But yours are perfect because I don't have to deal with them. All right. But. My little guy, Caden, is very selfish. This is horrible, I'm saying this. He's very selfish. And what he'll do is if Carter has something, that's the six-year-old, even if it doesn't belong to Caden, his response is, I want that. That is mine. I gotta have it now. And he doesn't stop. And it gets to the point, I'm like, Carter, just give it up. If you don't give it up, I'm gonna kill him and then that's bad for all of us you know but think about this from the we are geared selfishly unfortunately all of us in this room we're all about mine it's all about what i want it's what what can i get out of this or what can i get it's all about me it's all about stuff it's all about possessions which results in what we think is authority or or power and and god specifically talks about possessions and money over 2,000 times, but it's not because he's obsessed with those things. God is concerned with you. He's obsessed completely with you. So we understand last week, we want to be influential in life and we want to be um, extremely generous, all right? We talked about the the scarcity cycle. If you remember the scarcity cycle, it kind of went this way. God provides, we spend, then we lack, then we have fear and anxiety, then we medicate it by spending more. That does not make sense, does it? Think about that. Now, allow that cycle to intertwine with your possessions or your stuff. A lot of us have stuff, that have caused us to consume, which has brought in lack, which has caused fear and anxiety, which then results with us doing what again? Buying more. Proverbs 23 and 7 says this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Keep that up there for a second. In other words, every choice you make, your lifestyle, your behavior patterns, can all point back to the way that you choose to think of the world. Now, I love this scripture because it says, for as he thinks in his heart. I love it because last week we talked about when we're to give, we're to give what? With a cheerful heart. It didn't say with a cheerful mind, did it? But the scripture says we are to give with a cheerful heart. And then I look at this scripture, it says, for he thinks in his heart. In other words, his thoughts proceed his heart. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. In other words, what is saying here is that we have a problem. The problem is within ourselves, our lifestyles, our behaviors, our patterns. We need to get to the point where, as we say, God, am I thinking in the right way? Am I thinking? Am I allowing my heart to dictate my thoughts? Or are my thoughts determining what my heart's going to be? You see, your heart, in your mind, rather, in your thoughts, you can talk yourself in and out of anything long enough. And if you can't, you'll find someone who can add to your thoughts who can help you along the way. Am I right? So all in all, what do we have here? We have a heart issue. One of the first things that we do is, or rather the first thing that we do as Christians when we accept Christ, where do we accept him first? In our hearts, our heart must become more powerful than our mind. As Christ followers, if Christ is within our heart, then our heart automatically, no political pundits included here, our heart automatically trumps our mind. Think about that. But we have it backwards. We allow our mind to determine how our heart is going to be. I don't know that I can give to this person because I know how they are. I know what they'll do with this. Even though God might be dealing with my heart on it, my mind is saying I can't do it. And so what happens is our mind becomes more powerful. And what we really do, we're enabling God from pouring out a blessing on someone else's life as well as enabling God for pouring out a blessing on who? You. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. We're gonna look at a story here and, and I briefly touched on it last Wednesday. I also did, or uh, excuse me, last Sunday. I also did this last um, Wednesday as well. But what I need you to understand here, and we're gonna get into a story about when Jesus had fed 5,000. But what you need to understand is he actually did not feed 5,000. It was actually somewhere between 15 to 20,000 people that he had fed. Because back in that day, they only counted men when it come to groups and crowds. They didn't count women and children. So it's equivalent that what Jesus was actually doing when he was speaking in this moment to the supposedly 5,000, we can understand that most likely it was somewhere between fifteen to 20,000 approximately of people that he was speaking to. In other words, um, an NBA arena. All right. So it's kind of like a Billy Graham crusade for Jesus in this situation. So we understand that, and we're going to kick this off right off the bat, starting in verse 34 in Mark chapter 6. And we're going to go through this scripture here. But it says this, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Continue, verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him. And now listen, this is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Go to verse, the next verse for me. Send the people away. This is the disciple speaking to Jesus. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now I wanna stop there for just a quick second here. And I want, I want to imagine here for a moment and, and try to imagine, here's Jesus. He's on the countryside. We understand what the scripture says. It's a very remote place. In other words, it's secluded. There's probably not many towns around. There's probably not many restaurants around. There's not many uh, other establishments around. But, you know, it's, it's remarkable to me that these people followed and they wanted to go and hear Jesus speak. But we have a hard enough time on a Sunday morning to come to church, whatever. So... That's another sermon for another day, but let, just let it sink in. That was my little And so what happens here is he's at a very remote place and he's speaking. And I'm, I'm just guessing maybe Peter's coming up to him and he's saying, look, Jesus, listen, man, just today's language here. Listen, here's what we gotta do. Your sermon's great. It's been going on for about five hours now. You're on your 20th point. And uh, these people are getting restless, all right? It's getting dark, it's getting nighttime, it's it's, it's getting late, it's it's approaching us, and you know what, I think they're hungry. I think we need to do something here, all right? We see here, it says, we need to go ahead and send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, let's go on to the next verse. But I love this, Jesus does this. He says, you give them, you give them something to eat. You give. You give. You give. Jesus is going, wait a minute, this is my problem right now. I'm going about my father's business. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You have, so you give to them. Something to eat. They said to him. I love they. It's like it's a, it's nobody was brave enough to stand out. I'm just kind of giving Peter because Peter's the guy that gets all the bad rap all the time. All right? But, but, but it's just they said to him. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if I get a phone call and it's like, pastor, we need to come talk to you. And all of a sudden you get a room full of like three or four people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, pfft. not that it's happened here, but I've, ever, I've had it happen in other places. And you go, you know, if you've got something to say, just say it, you know what I mean? That's how it is, just say it. But anyway, he says, they said to him, in other words, they're scared. We're like, he's Jesus. We're just these lonely disciples. And they're like, you know what? We can convince him if we all come together and we'll go to him. So he says, they said to him, that would take more than a year's and a half wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Hold on. I, you just, yeah, you're good right there. I love that part. They're like, wait a minute. Do you not know how much it's going to cost to feed these people, Jesus? Judas, how much is in the treasury? They're conveying. Oh, my goodness, we can't do this. We, we can't. We can't do this. We don't even have the money to do this. Jesus answers and goes, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, well, here's what we have. We have five pieces of bread, two fish. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. To me, this is, this is two groups of people that we're looking at. We're viewing those with radically different mindsets. The disciples view this whole process as the mindset of scarcity in this moment. God provides, we're gonna consume, therefore we're gonna lack, and where are they at right now? Fear and anxiety. Five loaves and two fish. You know what's amazing to me is, is this. It's, it is laughable how much we have in light of how much we need, sometimes. It's laughable and how much we have in light of how much we need. In other words, it's kind of like this. We can go through life and, and things can be going great, but then all of a sudden we can get hit with a medical bill or we can get hit with a, a car uh, a car issue, and or we can get hit with a problem with the house, and so our money has to go there. And then next thing you know, we become frantic, and we what do we allow to overcome us? Fear and anxiety. You see, Jesus views this through a completely different lens, though. Jesus sees something even more. He views it through the lens of the abundance. Now, what is the lens of the abundance? God provides. We give back. God provides even more. You see, the disciples were looking at scarcity where fear and anxiety was coming over them because they were lacking. They didn't have enough. But Jesus had a completely different mindset. He was like, look, God provides. We give back to God. And what does God do? Provides even more. God gives you back. God gives you more. The simple belief that is there's what? More than enough when it comes to God. Scripture says that they all ate and that they were satisfied and that the disciples then, in cleaning up after fifteen to 20,000 people, imagine cleaning up for fifteen to 20,000 people. Disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces which were left over five loaves of bread, two fish. The disciples say it's not enough, but Jesus says it's more than enough. We're gonna get right into this here in just a moment, but many of us have the mindset that when our bank account becomes bigger, when our salaries get larger, then we will become more open-handed. However, we're lying to ourselves. Because the more we make, the tighter we grip on what we have think about that for me this isn't a popular message I get that I feel it too trust me I feel it right now this isn't a popular message this is one of those messages like I said last week shouldn't have came this morning thought he was over that mess here we go again Many of us have the mindset that when our bank account gets bigger and our salaries get higher, that we're going to be more open-handed, but we're not. However, when we become closer to Jesus, we can realize that he completely redefines what can be done with a little. You know, I think we all have examples in our life this morning that we could look at ourselves and, and we could look at the state of our financial being in the past and we could see where God has provided where we had little. I know I can look at my own life. I've heard stories of other people. I've heard stories this past week because of last week's sermon where God has provided for people when they didn't have enough, but yet they still gave what was supposed to be given to God. And what does God do? Every single time, God provides. John 10 and 10 says this, that the thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I came for what? A different purpose. I came that you may have life and have it more what? Abundantly. Who was the thief? You don't have this scripture, I apologize. But Malachi 3 and 11 says this. When we do what we're supposed to be doing as Christ followers... And as the body of Christ, when it comes to our tithing, this is what the scripture says And I will rebuke the devourer, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. What is God saying? When we give to God what belongs to Him, when we do not live the life of scarcity where God provides and we consume, and then we consume so much that now we lack, and because we lack, We have fear and anxiety, and the only way to medicate that in our minds is to consume some more. God says, no, when you, I provide for you, and then you give back to me what belongs to me, then I can give back to you more in your life. And when you do this, I love it, because in the scripture says this, God says, I rebuke the devourer in your life. Rebuking the devourer. What does that mean? Who is the devourer? The devourer is the enemy. The devourer is The devourer is Satan. The one who is what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. What is he after? He's after you. He's after your family. He's after everything that you come in contact with. He's after your church. He's after your relationships, your friendships. He wants to completely annihilate you. You know what's amazing to me is this. We will sing songs like this. The, how great thou art. We will sing songs like this, How Great Is Our God. We will sing songs like this, The Great I Am. We will sing songs like this, Great Are You, Lord, just like we did this morning. But the problem is, is we cannot release God's greatness until we obey His commandments. Four people got it. I appreciate it. You cannot Release God's greatness on your life. It's kind of like we want to a la carte God where we pick and choose what we want. Okay, I'm not gonna curse. I'm not gonna steal. I'm not gonna kill. I'm not gonna commit adultery. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not going to talk against others or curse them or I'm not going to do this or that. I, but, but, but God, when you talk about me giving, we can let that one slide. Thank you. I Appreciate that humor. Exactly. I think sometimes God thinks that about us. What are you talking about? What do you mean? You only want certain aspects of me, but you don't want all of me. How great is our God? God can only be great fulfilling the greatness of him when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing completely. Not just a hunt and peck of what we want from God. Everything about the nature of God is more than enough. It is extravagant and it is abundant. It is God's nature. That is who he is. How do we experience this life of abundance? We're going to talk about two things here for a moment. The first one is this. God multiplies what is blessed. Mark chapter 6, verses 40 through 41. I want to read it. They sat down in the groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, what did he do? What did he do? He blessed the food. The blessing of God over anything in our lives is a powerful thing. Returning the tithe that we have in our life releases God's blessing over every part of our lives. God, what I'm giving to you, the tithe, it's holy. The tithe is holy. Now, a lot of people get confused because they go, well, Pastor Kevin, I give my tithe. That's great. Is it the first part that you give? Is it the first thing you're given to God? Or is it the I need to see what I have left over? Is it the what can I afford this week to give to Him? You know, I I've I've heard a, a pastor speak on it. In fact, two years ago, we, we talked about it in the Blessed Life. Pastor Robert Morris brought out some great points in regards of. The first thing that we need to do with what God gives us, we need to give right back to him. Because the tenth is what? The tithe. Who does that belong to? It belongs to God. See, these are some of the spiritual principles that we don't like to hear and we don't like to to have taught to us. Because it hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it hurts us in the wallet. And and, and that's a direct connection to the heart, isn't it? That that should appear to some of you right there a little bit. Malachi 3.10, if we can go back to it, it says, bring the what? Whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be what? Food in my house. The tithe is not the 10%, but it is the first 10%. Food in my house. And he says this, and I love this. I brought this out last week. He says, test me. Test me in this, God says. In other words, I'm challenging you. Actually, I'm challenging me. Test me this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing. What? There will not be room enough to store it. Talk to you about the phrase floodgates for a second here. There's three times in scripture where we can understand that floodgates is mentioned. One of them is obviously uh, right here. Uh, The other time, Obviously, it was with Noah. The other time is, uh, I believe it's in 2 Kings. But when we think of flood and floodgates in the Bible, we think of one particular person, that's Noah. We know what God did then. What did he do? He flooded, right? He brought forth a flood. God says in that scripture in in Malachi 3, and, and I think it was 10 that we just had up there, he says, I will open up the floodgates into your life. I'm going to open these things up when you do what you're supposed to do, when you bring the whole tithe. And the whole means not just the 10%, but you're doing it as the first thing. Some of you say, well, I get paid on a Thursday, and I don't come to church on a Sunday. Well, you put it aside Thursday, instantly. Or you know what you can do? Go to churchbythebeach.org, and you can actually do your tithing there. It's something to think about. Thank you. But God says, I want to open the floodgates to where there's not, there, there's not room enough for you to even contain what I have for your life. We're going to throw up a, 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 an image here. Go ahead and throw that up for me. All right, you got to get, yeah, thank you. All right, that is the Hoover Dam. I went there like, uh, I guess a year and a half ago, something like that. I took that photo. Don't make fun of my photography skills. There's a shadow there irritating me but I think about this scripture and I thought about this while I was there not while I was there but I thought about it while I was preparing this week and I started thinking to myself even in my own life where we all go through seasons where we're not following the principles that God gives us but we we again like I said we sing songs like how great is our God and the great I am and great is your name, and amazing grace. and you know We sing all these wonderful songs that talk about these characteristics of God and how great and how powerful they are. But many of us lack really receiving how great God truly is. We, 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 we fall short because we're not fulfilling all of the teachings that God gives us and the commandments and the principles that he says and the disciplines that he says that we must do in our lives. Where you say, Pastor Kevin, what does that have to do with the Hoover Dam? Well, here's my thinking. I see that wall, and it's, it's tremendous. If you ever get the chance, you've got to go. But let me tell you something. I watched a movie a couple months ago. Um, it was with The Rock, and it was about this fault line in California. I don't know if any of you saw that movie or not. It scared the bejimmies out of me, right? Because I was there, and and, and on that spot where it was like breaking up and these people are falling into these, you know, and I'm going, I'm oh, glad I went there first because I would have never stepped foot on that place. And I don't know that I ever will again after watching that movie. I mean, it scared me that I was like, my Lord. All right. So anyway, it's a great place. So you should go. <laughs> so we were there. And, and it's, it's huge. I mean, you've seen, you know, movies about it and you've seen pictures where you're seeing one now and and all this great, great stuff. But as I was thinking about this um, scripture, this image came to my mind and I found it on my computer and I was like, oh, we got to use it. And um, I sit there and I think about God and all that God has for me. And I think about the the commandments or the disciplines that I need to do in my life, but yet I don't always do. And so, what that does truly is build a wall up between me and God. Or rather, how about this God's blessing, and then what eventually kind of trickles over every now and then. One of the biggest walls that we have in our spiritual disciplines, in our lives, is giving. We're tithing. We don't like to hear messages on it. We, 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 we cringe at the thought. Sometimes you guys, you write the check and you're just like, ugh, why do we gotta do this? Sometimes you write the check and you're just going, ugh, it's, I, I, I can only give 8% today, God. I can only do 3% today, God. And as we're doing that, what we're doing is we're building a dam, between God's provision and the blessings that he has for us to what we truly have, which is the bottom part. But God says that if we would give the whole tithe, now in Noah's day when the flood happened, the water consumed what? The entire face of the earth. No part of the earth was untouched. No part of it was untouched. And God gives a couple words here that he says, I will open up the floodgates into your life so much so that you won't have room enough to hold it or to store it. And then we're singing songs like how great God is and how majestic he is and, and we'll give testimonies of how powerful he is and all this. We haven't even scratched the surface because so many of us in our life have built a dam between the blessings of God and our wallets. But God says, if you will bring the whole tithe. The first fruits, the first, I will what open the floodgates. I will open the floodgates. Why are we satisfied with a puddle? If we would just look beyond the wall, we can see that there's a reservoir of blessing waiting for every single. One of us. A reservoir. I heard a, um, a pastor uh, tell this story, and, and I, I wanna tell it, I'll try to tell it to you guys. And he had a couple in his church, and uh, he, he had just did a series as well on tithing. And uh, he was saying that this couple were were tithers in the church. And, you know, in his mind, he wouldn't have thought that this message was really relevant to them because they were doing it. But the couple came to him and, and said, Pastor, we wanna tell you that you know, your message really spoke to us and it really changed us. And he's kind of perplexed like, how in the world did this change you? Because you know I know that you guys faithfully do, do this. And he said, well, no, not, not necessarily. The husband spoke up and said, not necessarily. It was always the last thing that we did. We would always go through and, and hope that we had enough that we could give to God. And, and we would always go through, and, and sometimes there were moments where we didn't give the full 10%. We only gave what we felt our budget would allow. But the husband and wife went on, and, and they were explaining their story, and they went on to, to say to the, to the pastor, he said, but after your message, we looked at one another, and we talked about it, and we said, you know what? It's time to do what the Bible says to do, and that is to do it the first, the very first thing. Because, you see, when you do it the first thing, you're not tempted to shortcut God, are you? And so they said, really, what we were doing, and this this struck me, we were tipping God. We were just tipping God. We were giving him what we thought he deserved. He went on to say that as this couple began to talk to me and and explain this more of how this changed them, their marriage got closer, their jobs became more secure, their financial situation. Can you throw that back up, please? I want you to hear the story and understand what happens when the floodgates become open because it begins to totally consume every aspect of your life. God says, I have more than enough. I have an abundance for you. This couple, what did they do? They began to give instantly. First thing went to God. Their marriages became better, their jobs more secure, their finances better, their friendships, relationships. Everything started coming together. Why? Because they did what they were supposed to do. Watch this. This isn't a hard thing. This isn't one of the messages where I'm challenging you to come to church, take on a ministry, lead a group of kids, wipe their noses. You know, This isn't one of those messages. This is one of the simplest things you could do, but yet it's one of the most perplexed and hardest. Why? Because the wallet is attached to the heart. And all we think about is with the mind. And that allow God to use what we have to give back to him what is belonging to him. Your soul was made for this. Some of you say, well, you know what? I just want God to multiply. I I want God to multiply in my life. Do this. I want God to to increase my family. Do this. I promise you, you will see a difference. God multiplies what is given away. Second thing that we're going to look at. God multiplies what is given away. Matthew chapter 14 and 19. Another version of the story says that Jesus gave thanks. He broke the loaves. Then he gave it to them, the disciples. And the disciples did what? Gave it to the people. Now watch this. This is interesting to me. If I was one of the disciples and, and I came to Jesus and I had the five loaves, and the two bread, and I came to Jesus with them, and I said, look, man, this is all we've got. This is it. We're giving it to you right now. This is all we have. This is all we have to feed them with. And Jesus blesses it. Do you know what I expect to see And the moment the amen happens? Boom, the miracle. Three truckloads, semi-truckloads of fish and bread, right? That didn't happen. Throw the scripture back up. Jesus gave thanks, broke that, broke the loaves, then he gave it to the disciples. And the disciples did what with it? Gave them to the people. The disciple, the miracle did not happen at the amen. The miracle happened when they trusted in Jesus and began to do as he what? Said. There's a lesson to learn there. Some of you are waiting to move. Because you need to see the miracle first. God says if you would just move as I have told you to and commanded you to through the scriptures. And what is the move that God is saying? Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. When that then happens and we began to do as the disciples did, what did they do? They gave. What did Jesus do first? He said, give, didn't he? Jesus said, give. Now we see the disciples, what did they do? The disciples what? Gave. Long story short, after everything said and done, they had an abundance what? Left over. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 32 says this Do not worry. What shall ye eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows, what? That you need them. Some of you, you're so worried. I get that. I understand it. I also understand this is the most popular message. And if you're a visitor, I'm sorry. Kind of. Take it back to your home church. If this is your church, take it right here. But I understand. I understand when the pressures of the bills come and I understand that, you know, going grocery shopping and and the amount gets so high and you're going, oh, do we have it to do today? I've been there. I get that. But I can't help understand that every time I've ever gone through a situation in my life, a storm, a trial, a difficulty, that God has always come through for me. It is my turn to come through for God. It is my turn to do what I'm obligated to do. You know what a sin is? Being disobedient. When we don't tithe, we're being disobedient. And if we're being disobedient, what are we doing? We are sinning against God. You're sinning against your home. You're sinning against your careers. You're sinning against your families. You're sinning against your friendships. You're sinning against your spiritual life. You're sinning against your possessions that you so badly want. You're sinning. Mm. I believe that God wants more for all of us. I want more for you. Listen, guys, if you think that I feel good standing up here giving this message, I don't. I left last week, and I walked out, and somebody was like, Pastor Kevin, I really enjoyed it. I'm like, I'm glad you did. (laughs) Because it's not an easy one to give. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you enjoyed it, I'm glad you did this morning. Because it's not an easy one to give. But it's a teaching, it's a principle that we must adhere to. We must become obedient with. So, God knows that an open-handed life is the antidote, antidote of materialism. And the most certain death sentence to your selfishness. It makes you like Jesus. When we tithe, it makes us like Jesus. It's another step closer in that relationship. It's another step closer. You know, I looked at I, I'm probably never gonna look at that picture again that I have of the Hoover Dam. And every time I think of the Hoover Dam, and you too, because I've ruined it for you. Every time you think of the Hoover Dam, you're like, did I tithe? I love it. I love it. But when I looked at it and I just saw, all I could see is God's blessing, my disobedience. God's blessing where there's so much, so much. It says that in his word that he's going to open the floodgates and what's going to happen? There's not going to be room enough for it to store. And what does that mean? I love this. I love this part. This is my favorite aspect of it. That means when I'm doing what is right and there's so much being poured onto me, guess what? It's got to run off to me and it's got to run onto you. Amen. Hallelujah. And to you. Yes. Are you following me? Yes. Yes. When there's so much that God can just pours and pours and watch this, it's not just money. It's not just money. That reservoir that we saw with the dam, that's not just you know, money as the blessing of God. That is job security. That is love. That is your marriage. This tithing thing represents all of that. Not just your wallets, not just this. Your spiritual life. The word says that what? That that, that, the thief is there to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. But Malachi 3.10 says what? When we tithe, when we bring it into the whole, what? The whole tithe to the storehouse, what does God do? He rebukes the devourer in your life. I don't know about you, but that's enough to get me excited this morning. To know that God has got more, that he more than enough in me. Father, I've said enough. Your scripture has come forth, your word has been delivered. It is now in the hands of your people, and it is for them to deal with. My prayer today, Lord, is that the word came forth in such a way, God, that the challenge is laid before them. What are they going to do with it? The rest is in their hands. I pray, Father, for every believer in this room right now. If they're not tithing, they become a tither. If they're a tither but yet just been a God tipper, that they change that around today. And that we understand that it must become the first thing that we do and bring it to you. So God, we love you, we praise you. I pray, Father, Lord, your scripture says that when we do this, you rebuke the devourer in our lives. So God, start rebuking because I believe there's some people in this room today who are saying, you know what, I'm signing up for this. This is the right thing, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, Lord, we sing sing of all these, how great you are and how powerful you are and we preach these messages of how you know, how, how much you have for us in store and the promises that you have for us. But yet, God, we fail to realize that maybe we're not breaking that crest. Maybe we're not getting that breakthrough because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Today, God, that changes. Today, Father, Lord, my prayer is that we as a church, as the body of Christ, begin to do what we are supposed to do, fulfilling your commands, fulfilling your teachings, fulfilling your laws, God. Even Jesus spoke twice on tithing and said that we ought to do it. So, Father, moving forward, that's what we're going to do. We're going to give what belongs to you. So, Father, as we leave this place, we pray for the tithe and the offering that is about to be given to you. May, Lord, it be used to continue to grow your kingdom. Father, may it be used, Father, Lord, that we can take the ministries of this church and grow them, Father, and and give to, to missions and And to provide, Lord, and and those in the community who lack, Father, Lord, and, and need help. May it be used, God, to grow your kingdom, Father. And we do all of this, Lord, for your glorification. So, God, as we leave this place, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. Love you guys.